0: Thank you for listening to Sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Praise Team. So good to be back uh, preaching uh, with you this morning. My name's Chaplain Dan Braswell. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I want you to turn to Matthew Chapter 28. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, the last several verses in this book. Last week we finished up the book of Jonah. We we saw Jonah from start to finish, right? As he obeyed God, disobeyed God, ran from God, repented, obeyed God, and then was mad about the results, and we saw God's response as we think about connecting with the sinner. Well, today we're going to look at this subject, moving from Y'all come to let's go. How to be a great commission Christian? How to be a great commission Christian? When you read Matthew chapter 28, particularly verses 18 through 20, you see what what most of us over the years have come to call uh, the Great Commission. Adrian Rogers, a famous pastor, he said that in the Great Commission you find what he called the heartbeat of God. What I want us to do is I want us to read it together. I hope that those of you who've been here for the past several weeks thinking about connecting with the sinner as we have filled out our index cards, we've been praying for lost people, we've been talking about how God loves the sinner, how we were sinners, but Christ died for us and brought us out of death into life. Today we're going to celebrate communion and remember what Christ has done for us. Today I want to talk about how we can become Great Commission Christians. We're going to begin in verse 16, and I'm going to read from verses 16 to the end of the chapter. So follow along and keep your place there as we look at it this morning. It says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Today we're going to be looking at ways we can be a great commissioned Christian and how we can move from from y'all come to let's go. I don't know if any of you've heard General Ryan speak recently, but one of the phrases that I've heard him—the last three times he spoke—he keeps saying this phrase: "Deeds, not words." Boy, I like that. My my first infantry unit I ever served—that was their motto. You, it was "Deeds, not words." Triple deuce, Second Battalion, Twenty Second Infantry. Deeds, not words. I love that. I love that statement, and I think it applies to this idea of the Great Commission because it's a it's a thing of action. It's a command that uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us gives us. When we began our sermon series, we looked at some statements that the Bible makes about hell. And we talked about the fact that whoever believes in Jesus will have everlasting life, but those who don't believe will be condemned. Because we understand that heaven and hell is the stakes, right? When we talk about evangelism, when we're talking about people knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, we we, we have to move from y'all come to let's go. And what I mean by that is... Certainly, I want you to invite people to chapel. I want you to say, y'all come. But at some point, you and I, we have to have the mentality of, let's go. You ever been lifting weights and what do you say to get pumped up? I don't know. I say, let's go. Can you say that with me? Let's go. Let's go. go. Y'all look at me and say, "Chaplain, you need to say it more because you need to beef up a little more. You're kind of (laughs) skinny. I'm trying. But from y'all come to let's go. It's a very serious matter. I remember a story from uh, Erwin Lutzer. He wrote a book called Hitler's Cross. He's pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and he talked about an instance from a Christian who lived in Germany during the Nazis regime and their concentration camps. Listen to what he said. He said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew we could hear the cries of the Jews in a route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. He closes with this. Years have passed by, no one talks about it, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. And he says, God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. Why'd you start with that sad story, Chaplain? Because I want us to understand the great need of every single person that you and I come across with, their need for a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. It's not so much that this morning I'm trying to step on our toes. What I'm really aiming for is our heart. I want our hearts to line up with the heartbeat of God, and that is becoming from y'all come to what? So let's go. I want us to learn how to be a great commissioned Christian. We're going to look at four ways to do that in this passage. Point number one, the first thing we have to do. Number one is we acknowledge God's authority, acknowledge his authority. If you go back and look at our passage in verse number 18, Jesus came to them and he said, very simply, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The first step in being a Great Commission Christian is we're simply messengers. It's not my message. It's not my opinion. It's not your opinion. It's not the world's opinion. The message of Jesus Christ, the message that we're to make disciples, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute, it all comes from the authority of God. Matthew's already shared a story in his book that deals with this, and I want you to turn there with me. Just keep your place in Matthew 28, but turn over to Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you something real quick under this idea of acknowledging God's authority. Go to Matthew chapter 16, and let's start in verse 13. This is the story where Peter confesses Jesus Christ. Listen to this. It'll help us understand this idea of authority. Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, remember this, who do some people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. There's no different than 2,000 years later today, right? Go around and ask people what they think about Jesus. He was good. He did good things. Did he rise from the dead? Uh, I don't know. And that, it's the same question. So Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon gave the great answer in verse number 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now watch this. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, let me ask you a question. Jesus uses the illustration of the church on you, I'll build my church. That is this confession that Peter makes. And he says he's going to build his church. But then he says the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Let me ask you a question. Are gates a offensive position or a defensive position? That's defense, right? When you build a defense, you put up seawire. You put up walls. That's defense. In Jesus' illustration, who's on defense and who's on offense? The church is on offense. The devil's on defense. The gates of hell are on defense. In other words, we got the ball. In my glory days of church basketball, I don't know if any of y'all ever had those glory days of church basketball Good night. We we were so horrible. There was there was seasons that got down to the last game of the season and we lost all our games and the other team lost all their games and it was like the battle of the of the losers and but praise God we had a ball and but there was one time we, we recruited like like sometimes teams do and we had some good players and we had one in particular he was our point guard he scored half the points on our team and and he was kind of he was in charge and we were winning and we were up by about twenty points towards the end of the towards the end of the game and. They scored a couple points, and he, everybody just starts getting frantic. Everybody starts going crazy and not doing what you're supposed to do to, to win basketball. And he, he, he called timeout, and he said, guys, chill. We got the ball. We got the lead. This is our game. Quit acting like you're losers. We're going to win this thing. Let me say this. Today, I believe we forget God's authority many times as Christians because we act like we're playing defense in this world. We've got the ball, folks. The score is up. We're winning. And by the way, if you read the back of the book, we're going to win. The gates of hell won't prevail. It's it's the gates of hell that are on defense. We're on offense. Let me tell you what God's not doing in heaven. I don't care what news line you look at right now. You can look at any of them, left, right, center, whatever Flavor you want to look at what everybody thinks. God is not up in heaven right now wringing his hands wondering what he's going to do about anything that's going on in this world. Because he's in control and I guarantee you he still has the authority and he still has you and he still has me in the palm of his hand. We acknowledge God's authority. We have the ball. God's in control. The first step to being a great commission Christian, the first step to having the boldness to say let's go is acknowledging, number one, that God has all the authority. Point number two. Point number two is very simply obey God's plan. This is the epitome of the let's go. This is the epitome of the let's go. I'll give you a little bit of a grammar lesson here, not too much. But when you go back to Matthew chapter 28, you can go ahead and make your way back there. As you read that passage in verse number 19. When you look at that language in it's original language in the Greek, the verb of that entire verse is make disciples. That's the action verb is make disciples. In English, it does translate. Go, therefore, and make disciples. But the go is a participle, which means it's 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 supporting the main verb. Right. The other two participles. And they end in ing, which in English, which makes it easy for us baptizing and teaching. So, when we talk about obeying God's plan and sharing the Great Commission, the crux of it, the main verb, is to make disciples. That is to help people to fashion into the likeness of Jesus Christ. To disciple is to discipline, is to grow in the Lord. Make disciples. We do that in our going, we do that in our baptizing, and what that means simply is that when people trust the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, what do they do? What do we tell them the next step is, right? We baptize them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then it says teaching them. That's the next participle. The teaching, the baptizing, and the going are all part of this idea of making disciples. We're teaching We're baptizing. We're telling people the message of Jesus Christ so that they can place their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. As my wife Cheryl read just a minute ago, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. What does the Bible say? You will be saved. That is simply obeying God's plan. In other words, I'm not just a chaplain. I am a Christian whose mission is to. Help other people become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not just a single soldier. If you're a Christian, you're a single soldier who's also a disciple yourself, and you're supposed to help other people be discipled. If you're a mom here, if you're a dad here, you're not just a mom or a dad. You are a disciple maker with your children. You're to help as you make disciples of your children. You do that in your going. You do that in your Telling them about Jesus, you do that in the things that you teach them. If you're here and you're a leader in some shape, form, or fashion in the army, or as a DOD civilian, or or as whatever your job is, if you're any type of leader, you're not just a leader for that job. You follow the one with all the authority. Part of obeying God's plan is how can we use the influence that God has given us to help other people know the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we say obey God's plan, who are, who are who are we making disciples of? Who are these people that we as we go and as we teach and as we baptize? Who are they? Well, let's go back and look at it. It says here in verse number 19, to make disciples of all nations. In in the Greek it's panta, which is all ethne, like ethnicities. Jesus is making the statement right here on the front. We need to make disciples of all. All people groups in the world of, of every single person that we meet that's why he specifically uses that phrase it's all nations when you we won't turn there but when you go to Revelation chapter 5 and you see a picture of the throne room of heaven that the Apostle John as he writes what he saw it says that he saw the lamb and then he says around the throne he saw people from every tribe every tongue every language and every nation and it says that they Continue to cry, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who is worthy of all power and worthy of all glory. When we obey God's plan, we're to reach out to all the nations. We're to reach out to all. Galatians chapter 3 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In many ways, I have more in common than with a Christian brother who lives in Yemen that I've never met, who doesn't look like me, and we couldn't even converse without an interpreter, than I do somebody who lives beside me from South Carolina who's not a Christian, who has a pickup truck like I do, and who has an accent like I do. God brings us together in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in our evangelism, in our making disciples, we're to make disciples of all people. You want to talk about people first. Making disciples of all people says every single person is a sinner in need of a savior. But every single person has value. How much impact could you and I make if we just go around with that biblical mentality in this world? Obey God's plan. And continue to do it. Point number three. We're going to go in boldness. We're going to go in boldness. That's why I started with that passage from Matthew, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We, there's 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 no reason we have to fear or, 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 or be scared. We have to simply go and to do these things, because Jesus says in this passage, what he says, surely I am with you always, even until the end of. Of the age we have the assurance that as we make disciples as we share about Jesus by the way I hope some of you and us are thinking about some of those people that we pray for on our index card and we said we're gonna pray oh God save them what I pray happens is that we have the boldness to now go back and actually talk to them about their need for a savior earlier we said the phrase deeds not words the challenge I think, in part with evangelism, is many times we talk about it and talk about it, but there comes a time we have to do it. As I was thinking about that, I ran across a story, and I want to read you a little story about some fishermen. Do I have any fishermen in here? I want you to, as you listen to this story, I want you to think about fishing. Remember, Jesus even said, follow me and I'll do what? I'll make you fishers of men. This is a little anecdote about fishing, and I, and I want you to see if it applies sometimes to us as Christians when we talk about evangelism. Listen to this story. It came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish. Sound familiar? The abundance of fish and how they might go about fishing year after year. They carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of all fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better ways to do it further they said the fishing industry exists by fishing as fire exists by burning they love those slogans such as fishing is the task of every fisherman and quote every fisherman is a fisherman quote a fisherman's outpost for every fisherman's club does this sound familiar it's not a fisherman program it's a fisherman campaign those kind of things they sponsored special meetings the month for fishermen to fish They sponsored costly nationwide and worldwide congresses to discuss fishing and promote fishing and hear about all the ways of fishing, such as new fishing equipment, fish calls, and whether any new bait was discovered. Does this sound familiar to anybody? These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. (laughs) The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. The one thing they didn't do, however, can you guess what they never did? They never fished. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places that they might go and fish. All the fishermen seemed to agree what is needed is a board which could challenge fishermen to be faithful in their fishing. The board was formed by those who had the great vision and courage to speak about fishing, to define fishing, and to promote the idea of fishing in faraway lakes and streams where many other fish live. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built for those original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of the fish, the nature of the fish, where to find fish, the psychological reactions of the fish, and how to approach and feed fish. But guess what they haven't done yet? Fish. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distance waters that were filled with fish. The fishermen also built large social media campaigns to publish fishing guides. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they they never fished. They made all kinds of equipment to travel here and there and look at fish hatcheries. They said they wanted to be a part of the fishing party, but they felt called to furnish fishing equipment. Others felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way so the fish would know the difference between a good and a bad fisherman. What? Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were, that would be enough. Well, after one stirring meeting on, quote, the necessity of fishing, one young man, he left the meeting and he went, guess what he did? He went and fished. And the next day he reported. He caught two Outstanding fish. You know what we did with him? He was honored for his excellent catch. And we scheduled him to visit all the big meetings to tell everybody else how he did it. So he quit his fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience of fishing to the other fishermen. And he was also placed on the fisherman's general board as a person having considerable experience. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a a person suggested that those who didn't catch fish were really not fishermen. No matter how much they claim to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he never actually fishes? Am I a disciple if year after year I'm never about the business of making disciples? And I get it. It's scary to talk to people about faith. To talk to people about spirituality, to talk to people about Jesus. By the way, in this passage, Jesus mentions that, I believe, in verse number 16 in Matthew 28. What did he say? He said, or excuse me, verse 17. He says, some saw him, they worshiped him. But what did it say? Some did what? Some doubted. And you know what? That was, the, that was disciples. There was a game-changing event that was going to take place, however, in the book of Acts. You may or may not know that today uh, in in many church liturgical calendars is the day of Pentecost. The presence of God and the knowledge of God's authority and the realization of God's power changed everything for the disciples. Let's back up and just put this in context for just a minute. The, The Great Commission we've been reading is at the end of Matthew. The end of Matthew tells about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We learn from all the Gospels collectively that upon Jesus's trial and his crucifixion, that time period there, from what we can tell, every single disciple was nowhere to be found except for the Apostle John, who was there when Jesus said, Behold your mother, when Mary was there near the cross. From what we could tell, they all ran. When Jesus saw them in the room, They were in a room. They were behind a locked door. These were not exactly the handpicked people who are going to go out and be, quote, fishers of men if it was me picking them. So what made the difference in these men's lives? It was the fact that they were able to go in boldness because they knew who sent them. They acknowledged God's authority. They realized that when they heard this great commission and as they waited in that upper room in the book of Acts, what you find is after that, it was a game changer. I'm indebted to one of my favorite pastors, Fred Luter, who was uh, uh, president of Southern Baptist Convention several years ago. I I love him and and he shared it this way. This idea that the disciples were changed because of They acknowledged the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they knew that God was with them. Maybe you can identify with them. Before they realized the power they had, they were aloof, but then they were alert. They were bickering among themselves, then they became bold. They were complacent, then they became crusaders. They were defeated, and then they became devoted. Have you ever felt defeated in your life? I have. But these disciples became devoted because they realized that God was with them, so they could go and boldness, They felt empty waiting around after Jesus' death, but then after the resurrection and after realizing they had the Holy Spirit, they were empowered. They were fearful. Have you ever been afraid to talk about Jesus? I have. After that, though, they were filled with the Spirit. They were hiding, and then they became heroes. They were immature, then they became imitators. They were lazy, then they became legends, they were mediocre, then they became mighty warriors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were negligent, then they became global, noble. They were opinionated. We don't have anybody that's opinionated nowadays, do we? But you know what they did after that? They simply became obedient and said, I'm going to be a part of the plan of God. You know what they did? They went from y'all come to let's go. They decided, I'm going to live my life where I'm not going to sit around and just wait for things to happen. I'm going to say, let's go. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to be bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. They went from y'all come to let's go. They were passive, and then they became powerful. They were quarreling, and they became qualified. They were reluctant. Have you ever been reluctant to share your faith? After that, here's a buzzword for the army. They were ready. They were readiness all the way. They were ready to share about Jesus. They were silent, but then they became true soldiers. They were timid, but then they were transformed. They were unmanageable, then they became unified. They were victims, but then they became victorious. You know why? Because they went from y'all come to let's go. They came from y'all come to let's go. They were wimps, and then they became warriors. They were exhausted, and then they became excited. I had to work hard on that one. They, they were They were y'all come, and then they went to let's go, and then they were zany. I don't even know what that means. Then they became zealous. Bottom line, everything changed for them when they realized that they could go in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are on the offensive. God is calling you and God is calling me to be a great commission Christian. Some hesitated. Some doubted in verse 16. That's OK. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes you doubt. But what I hope we can remember is is that we can go in boldness because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we look at our last point, I want to point one more thing to you in Acts chapter 1. I want you to listen to this. You can turn there if you'd like to. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says it it this way. Let me uh, get there as well. This is some of Jesus' other final words as he ascends back up to heaven. Look at... Acts chapter one, verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God is calling us to go in boldness. And by the way, he's not leaving us alone. He simply says, I'm going to be with you and you will have my power. As we've been looking at this message this morning, I can't help but think that God will lay individuals on our hearts and say, hey, hey, Dan, I want you to talk to this person about Jesus. Hey, I want you to help disciple this person in your going, in your baptizing, in your teaching. Hey, Dad, I want you to start a home Bible study so that you can teach your children things of the Lord. Start reading Scripture together. Be bold. God's with you. Point number four. Point number four is simply no that God will bring all things to an end. God is going somewhere in this world. He has an end state. God has a plan, and Jesus alludes to it at the end of Matthew 28. He says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Meaning the end of when God's going to change everything once again when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. Know that God will bring all things to an end. We don't have to wonder how it all is going to end because God has it under control. God, the Alpha, what does he call himself? The Alpha and Omega? What does he call himself? The beginning and the end. What does he call himself? The first and the last. He's the final Amen. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Author of Life. He's the Supreme Sacrifice. He's the Way, Truth, and Life. i got about 20 more if you want them. i got them all wrote down. Got him from the Bible. He's all those things. And he is going to bring all things to an end. And he's calling you and I to move from y'all come to let's go. My grandfather died in 2005, and I had just moved to a church that was in the same town where my grandfather lived. And he had cancer. And one of the things that he had the privilege of doing in his life that everybody doesn't get to do is as as he knew he had way more days behind him than he did ahead of him he took time to lay out very many details of things he wanted to get done at the end of his life for example there were several house projects that that he had planned one of which was he wanted to make sure that my grandmother could get out of her car and walk under a covered walkway with a cement walkway from point A to point B, from the car to the house. In fact, it was so detailed that it was already in the making, and then when he passed away, if if memory serves me correctly, they came and did that project I think a day or two after he died, and and all the family's mentality was, well, that's what Pops wanted, so that's what we're going to go ahead and do. He planned all those things out. He knew his life was coming to an end. I had the opportunity to to be one of the preachers that is – at his service and me and his and his and his local pastor he, he literally told us what to preach I don't I've never had too many people tell me this is what I want you to preach but that's what he did he called me into his room and he said here's what I want I want you to preach about family and the importance of family he called the pastor in. I want you to preach about church and I want you to preach about the importance of church and the importance of things of the Lord he laid all those things out because he knew that he had he had some things coming he knew he was going to die and go to be with the Lord and he made those plans In an even greater way, what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying right here is that as you go and as you share this message of the gospel and as you make disciples, Jesus is saying, I'm going to make some plans and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Meaning there's going to come a point where this world will come to an end. Jesus will come back and he'll make all things new. His final way he gives us to know that we can be great commissioned Christians is rest and know that he will come again. He will make all things new as we take communion in just a few moments. I'm going to pray for us and then uh, we'll we'll take communion. The chaplains are going to help me as we do this in remembrance of Christ. We're going to read some scripture after we get it passed out in just a minute. But I want you to think about that. I want you to know that as we take communion, we're reminding ourselves that Jesus died for us and rose again. And that the Bible says that as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him and we do it until we eat with him again in heaven. God has everything in the palm of his hand. God is calling you and he's calling me to share with others the message that Jesus Christ is a savior who saves sinners. We're connecting with the sinner. Sinners in need of a Savior. Let's move from y'all come to let's go. Pray with me.